You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, we have two readings. The first one is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And we'll turn further in the New Testament to the gospel according to John chapter 20, where we receive more instructions that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples before he would ascend into heaven. John 20 at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Our text this afternoon is Lord's Day 31. The word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all believers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christian, Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors and, or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church 
when they promise and show real amendment. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we come to Lord's Day 31 this afternoon, it becomes very obvious just how countercultural the church is. The church is by, by who it is and by what the Lord Jesus Christ has made it. We see this countercultural trend in the functioning of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel and church discipline. We realize then that we're countercultural not just because of what we wear or because of what we sing or something like that, but we're countercultural because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the work that he is doing among us. We're countercultural, and we realize that when you consider what is the church, what is the church, even within the church today, it's a good question to ask, how do people understand the church? What it is, what it should be. How does our culture understand church? And well, of course, there's many, many things that we could list off of how our culture understands church. But if we, if we focus on, on what has our focus this afternoon and the keys of the kingdom, then we might find that how people understand these aspects of church is that, well, Preaching of the gospel should not be boring. The preaching of the gospel should be entertaining. That's the most important thing about the preaching of the gospel. And as for church discipline, well, of course, the prevailing cultural manifesto, cultural mantra, people must not judge me. I should be allowed to do what I want and no one should call me to account for that. You realize when you under, when you read the passages that we've read, Matthew 16 and John 20, that the Lord Jesus Christ understands church quite differently than our culture does. And quite differently even than we are sometimes prone to understand church. How does the Lord Jesus understand church? Well, he understands it and he communicates that he is the Lord of the church. Those people that he has brought together. The flock that is under his care. And that he does truly rule over them. And that he gives real authority to the elders of the church with which to rule over the church. We see that he loves and he sanctifies his church, which means that he forgives sins and he has the gospel, his gospel proclaimed to the church and through the church to the world. But in that love and sanctifying power, he will also have church discipline carried out. The church is his and he truly does rule over it. The Lord Jesus Christ has placed the church at the front lines of the kingdom of God, 
of his kingdom. And he has called us as church to be, in fact, his gatekeepers. Because he himself is the gate. And so there is one way into the kingdom of God, and he is Christ. There is one way into the kingdom of God, and he is Christ. We'll consider what it means to open the door, to close the door, and to open the door again. Opening the door of the way into the kingdom of heaven, which is Christ. As we see here in our Lord's Day this afternoon, the preaching of the Holy Gospel is one means by which the Lord Jesus Christ opens wide the kingdom of heaven. He uses preaching. And you may you may wonder, well, really? Is that really true? And when you look at these these Lord's Days, these question and answers, and you consider the texts that are given there, then you would probably realize that there's not many texts that speak about preaching. So where is the proof? Well, the proof that preaching is for bringing the message of forgiveness and also warning those who will not hear that message is well established throughout Scripture. It's all over. There's no proof because there's so much proof. It almost goes without saying. Even in the Old Testament, the priests, the prophets, even the righteous kings, they carried out the work of reminding God's people of the saving, the forgiving, the redeeming nature of their God. And they also warned them of his wrath and judgment if they should spurn his mercy. But this preaching became even more prominent in the New Covenant when the Lord Jesus came onto the scene What were the first words out of his mouth as Mark communicates in his gospel? What's the first thing that Jesus proclaims? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This message of forgiveness and repentance was then carried on by the apostles. The New Testament is filled with their words and was passed on also to the preachers of the next generation. Paul said to Titus, teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority, not letting anyone despise you. Preaching is consistent with, in fact, what the Bible, what Scripture is all about in itself. It ought to be one common theme, one common direction. It is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of of what Jesus Christ has done in his death on the cross, that the life and work of Jesus Christ are effective and are sufficient to forgive your sins. And that that's all possible when you embrace it by faith. And this gospel then of forgiveness is carried to the world. It's to go out to the whole world, a world lost and condemned in sin. And so the big picture of the proclamation of Jesus, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is believe and be saved. Because that message goes out into a world lost in sin, then the flip side of it is reject it 
and remain in your condemnation. The canons of Dort, that third confession of our faith, the canons of Dort actually summarizes this very well in Articles 3 and 4 of chapter 2. It says this, So that men may be brought to faith, God mercifully sends heralds of the most joyful message to whom he will and when he wills. By their ministry, men are called to repentance and to faith in Christ crucified. And then it quotes Romans 10. And in the next article, Article 4, it says this, The wrath of God remains on those who do not believe the gospel. But those who receive it embrace Jesus the Savior with a true and living faith and are delivered by him from the wrath of God and from destruction and given eternal life. They move from death to life. They move from wrath and destruction into the kingdom of heaven. This then is the message of the gospel, the Christ-centered message. You must pass through him in order to be received into the kingdom of heaven and to the grace of the Father. If you refuse him, You are refusing the Father. And if you refuse the Father's free offer of forgiveness through the work of His Son, there is no sacrifice for sins. Jesus Christ is the way, and He is the only way into the kingdom of heaven. That is the message that is proclaimed by the preaching of the gospel. But preaching is not the only means that Christ uses to apply his word in the lives of his people. It is not the only way, in fact, that the kingdom of of heaven is opened. He also uses you. He also uses you. That's right. The word of God lives in the congregation as you take it and apply it to your lives. And as you apply it to the lives of your fellow members your brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, where is the proof for this? Well, it's it's all over Scripture. For example, a passage that no one ever thinks applies to, to discipline, but when Paul says in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to each other, he is talking about discipline. He's talking about church discipline. The first part of church discipline is this opening function that it has. It's the very same thing for parents as they apply discipline to their children. It's not just this negative, don't do that message. No, the first part of discipline, the most important part of discipline, is encouraging obedience and instructing in the way of truth. Through discipline also, as the members of the church, as you take the word of God and apply it to your lives and to the lives of those you love, you are opening the kingdom of heaven. And it is a beautiful thing when it happens. When family and friends can can challenge and encourage each other on, on lifestyle choices that you are making as you serve the Lord. When brothers and sisters can can speak to one another, can even admonish one another, can call each other to account in a brotherly and in a sisterly way. 
It's a truly beautiful thing. That is the body of Jesus Christ functioning as it ought. That is the kingdom of God being kept open and helping each other in the kingdom of God to look to Jesus Christ for your, for help. Now this means, of course, that your first reaction when someone addresses you about something in your life, a lifestyle choice, a sin, an error, that your first reaction shouldn't be defensiveness or anger or shame. Someone else doing that to you is, is a natural functioning of the body of Jesus Christ. The right reaction is is thanksgiving and even appreciation. Now, it may be that for good biblical reasons, ultimately you you might even disagree with that person who has confronted you, who has spoken to you. But still, thank God that someone cared enough about you to speak to you. In this opening function of the kingdom of heaven, preaching and Church discipline are like the gas and the oil in your car. The gas and the oil in your car. You need them both. The gas gives power to the engine. It's what drives the car forward. That's the preaching of the gospel. It gives power. It's what drives you forward in your life of faith. But the oil of church discipline needs to work alongside that gas It needs to work through the engine. It needs to keep all the parts moving together, reducing the friction, maintaining a healthy engine that can do what it's supposed to do. Without the gas to propel, the oil has no function. But without the oil of discipline, the engine will come to a painful, grinding stop. The two must work together. That's our calling, to preach the gospel, also to hear the gospel, and then to love one another with the gospel. That's the opening function of preaching and discipline. We come now to the closing function. Preaching and church discipline not only serve to open the kingdom of God, they also serve to close the door. That's because the kingdom of heaven is a sanctuary. It's a safe place for those who respond to the gospel by faith and who live their lives in Jesus Christ. It's a place where sinners feel unburdened, where where sins are lifted off our back, where the weak are not attacked, but rather supported. It's a place where those who are humbled by their sins are lifted up by the spirit of God. It's a place where we receive grace. Through Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is no place for those who refuse Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what is at issue. Is refusing Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ is proclaimed, as his gospel is applied, we must not refuse him who speaks to us. Now, how can you refuse Jesus Christ? Well, of course, you can outright deny his divinity and his saving work. And that is the response by so many in the world who hear the preaching of the gospel, but deny that either he is God 
or that his work has any bearing on their lives and is sufficient for them. So you can outright deny him, but there are other ways of denying him. You can deny the authority of his word and embrace false doctrines. And there are bold ways of doing this. The heresies of those who have twisted God's word to their own benefit litter the landscape of church history. Those who boldly went against what scripture clearly teaches. But there are also subtle ways of doing this as well. You can fight against the doctrines that God's word clearly expresses, or you can just ignore them. And those doctrines that don't fit with what you would appreciate, what what you would rather do, or that don't fit with what's popular in our culture, you just ignore. And so it's possible to deny the authority of the word and embrace false doctrines. You can also deny the authority of God's word and embrace a sinful lifestyle as God's word tells us how we are now to live. And again, there are both bold and subtle ways of doing this. You can boldly pursue the life of a, of a, of a burglar, of a robber, rob banks every week, or more subtly, you can cheat on your taxes. You can boldly embrace a, a sinful and immoral sexual lifestyle, or you can habitually view pornography. There are bold and there are subtle ways of embracing a sinful lifestyle. But when you reject the authority of the word, either its doctrines or in how it tells us to live, you are rejecting, you are refusing Jesus Christ. We need to remember the principle of faith and life in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is not closed to those who struggle, to those who are weak, to those who acknowledge their sinfulness, who fight against it, who desire to change by the help of the Spirit. The sins of those people may be even more profound, more heinous than some other sins, but it is with that attitude that we respond to those sins with that counts. The kingdom of God is not closed to those who acknowledge their sinfulness. But it is closed to those who show themselves to be unchristian by their doctrine and life, who will not submit under the authority of God's word, of Christ's word, for what they are to believe and how they are to live. For such as these, the kingdom of heaven is closed. And consistent with the authority that Jesus Christ has given to his church, it is acted out within the church. The Lord Jesus has laid out for us the way that we are to deal with those who are caught in sin in Matthew 18. We don't rush to judgment. We don't deal with them swiftly so that pretty soon we won't have to deal with them at all. That is not the way that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. The way that he's laid out is a way that follows steps. First, he says, you follow the way of brotherly admonition. If someone has sinned, then you go to them 
and you speak to them about it. And you give them the opportunity to repent. If they don't listen or repent, then you confront them again. But this time you take someone else along with you, a witness to their unrepentant words and actions. If that does not bear fruit, the Lord Jesus says, only then do you tell it to the church. Only then do you approach the leaders of the church to report the sin. And here, the official process of discipline begins. Again, not quickly rushing to judgment, but earnestly admonishing the sinner to bring them to see their sin, that they might humble themselves before the Lord and repent. It is only if someone stubbornly persists in their sins and will not heed the loving admonition of the congregation over what is generally a fairly long period of time that they would ultimately be closed out from the kingdom of heaven. As the form for that purpose says, they are excluded from the fellowship of Christ and of his kingdom. It is a sad, it is a terrible reality when that happens. But brothers and sisters, the whole time, the goal is ultimately not to shut the kingdom of heaven, but the goal is repentance. The goal is humility. And the process is to be carried out in love. The the image through this whole process is that of the shepherd. You know, the Lord Jesus says that parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a shepherd who goes out and he seeks out that one sheep. He goes out because he loves the sheep that has strayed. It's not a process of driving the sheep away. No, it's a process of going out and, and calling that sheep who has already strayed back into the fold, back where they belong. Calling them back to repentance and to faith and life in Jesus Christ. But that closing of the kingdom is a very serious matter. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave the power of the keys to the church in the passages that we read, he wasn't joking around. He didn't just sort of say that. When you forgive people their sins, their sins are actually forgiven. It's not something that we're to hold lightly. It's something that we are to hold very seriously. And when the church administers these keys properly, it does so on a far larger scale than just removing someone's name from the church directory. It has far-reaching, the Lord Jesus Christ says, it has eternal consequences for them. He didn't pretend to give authority to his church like monopoly money, which looks like real money, but means nothing. No, Christ gave real authority to his church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so when that door is closed, it is a profoundly serious matter. But the incredible, deep grace of God is also present even in that closing. Because there is always one way in to the kingdom, even when that door has been shut. 
And he is Christ. Yes, to reject him and his work and his word is to exclude yourself from that kingdom. And yes, it is to be excluded. But the beauty of the gospel is that there is a way in. There is a way in. Through repentance, the way back in is Jesus Christ himself. This is the call of the gospel. This is the goal of discipline. And this is the hope of the church for that one who wanders away and appears to be lost. It is that all hope is not lost because of our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the very one who is the judge, the very one who is the gate, who is the door, is also the mediator and the savior. Anyone who comes to him, no matter what has happened, in humility and with heartfelt sorrow, and says to him, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, will once again find those deep wells of compassion and forgiveness, healing, hope, and life. It remains for all of us, then, brothers and sisters, as we are called to live lives of daily repentance. Repentance ought to be the theme of our lives. As often as we err, so often do we return to Him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we return to the gospel of grace, the forgiveness of sins, and the power to live a new life. Daily, we must return to Jesus Christ, the gain, our entrance, the only entrance into eternal life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.